Welcome to Food and Wine with Chef Jamie Gwen. Celebrate food and life by learning about the culinary scene around the world. Speaking with chefs, artists and food makers, farmers, authors and tastemakers who are passionate about everything delicious. A very good weekend to you food lovers, Chef Jamie Gwen in your radio. Every week we continue our celebration of food and the role it plays in our lives. So I thank you for joining me and I hope that you will continue to tune in to explore everything we love about delicious dishes and righteous recipes, food pros and decadent tastes. I'm all about the culture, the science, the history, the backstories, and the deeper meetings that come together every time people sit down to enjoy a meal. So this is a place for people who love to eat, and it is my goal to make your dishes come alive with flavor. Stay tuned because there's lots of delicious conversation in your radio all throughout this hour. I talk food and health, wellness, wine, cocktails, trends, and more to fuel your hunger and satiate your soul. And if you've missed a show, well, you can find podcasts on iTunes under Food and Wine with Chef Jamie Gwen. My website at chefjamie.com will definitely make you a better cook. And I hope that you'll become a friend and a fan on social at Chef Jamie Gwen, where you'll find my sometimes shameless daily dish on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram too. And with that said, let's dig in, shall we? Okay, it's time for gazpacho, that is. I like to kick off this show if you're a new listener. After 18 blessed years on the radio, you might know that I kick off the show with a technique, a tutorial, my best chef's tips to embrace the season, to cook with reckless abandon, to master a technique. And when the weather warms, gazpacho feels right. I happen to have a love affair with gazpacho. Maybe it's because I was raised on it and because my mom's been talking about it lately, making her gazpacho, that is, um, building up my excitement and anticipation. Or maybe because gazpacho is a blank slate for a palate of flavors. If you top it with smoked paprika grilled shrimp and brioche croutons or a a big spoonful of burrata and some lovely micro arugula greens, you have a meal. I love that about it too. So gazpacho is the soup for cooks who don't like recipes. You see, the cold Spanish classic, traditionally made with very ripe tomatoes, is very adaptable. And to me, it screams spring and into summer. Now, there is, of course, an Andalusian gazpacho, a white gazpacho, which you make with bread and copious amounts of garlic, which I really love too. It's a very different recipe, though. The red tomato gazpacho is a simple technique. It takes just minutes and it's really multi-purpose, I should say. It's the perfect starter in a shot glass, right? Let's say you're hosting a barbecue this summer. You make the gazpacho in advance. You pour it from a pitcher into shot glasses. You put some super simple garnish and you pass them out and everybody sort of sips and savor cocktail in one hand, shot of gazpacho in the other uh, while you pull everything off the grill. You can even uh, spike it, by the way, with tequila, and then it's especially delicious. It makes a really nice main course for those really hot summer nights, right, if you bulk it up. 
And it's more of a drink than a soup because red gazpacho is everywhere in Seville, Spain, where the recipe was invented. But there, it's not the watered-down salsa or grainy vegetable puree that you might have tasted and turned away here in the States. Now, in Spain, red and white gazpacho often has bread added for viscosity And the red gazpacho is this creamy orange-pink color rather than lipstick red because they have and know the secret. And that is, shh, don't tell, a large quantity of olive oil is required for making delicious gazpacho rather than like take it or leave it gazpacho. So this emulsion of uh, red tomato juice and pale green cucumber juice and golden olive oil will produce the proper pink color and this smooth, almost fluffy texture, that which would make a Spaniard proud. So let's make a batch, shall we? The base of gazpacho starts with epic tomatoes. And because the preparation is raw, there is really no hiding a substandard specimen. Now, juicy, fresh tomatoes are ideal. They're a tried and true base. But you can substitute canned tomatoes. Uh, Please use the ultra pure tomatoes, preferably. I like the ones from Italy and I like them in puree. And some recipes call for tomato juice as well. And I'm just fine with that. Now, After the base of gazpacho, there is what I call the accent. And those are soft herbs. Maybe it's basil or mint or parsley. Some welcome cilantro. Uh, There is finely chopped garlic. That's an accent for sure. It should be subtle in my opinion. And then you need an acidic element that brightens the soup. So sherry wine vinegar is my go-to, but other vinegars work as does lemon or lime juice or even a splash of hot sauce. Good accent for those that like it hot. And then there is texture to consider. So with gazpacho, as with peanut butter, there are two camps, right? There's chunky and smooth. And it can be rustic and chunky or smooth and elegant. And if you like texture and chunk, well, then a food processor or knife skills uh, work well. Um, I like my gazpacho the best of both worlds. I like it smooth and chunky. So for me, I blend the base and then I add from fancy knife skills, this chunky garnish that you stir in at the end that comes into play. Now, my mom loves a real chunky gazpacho and she mixes the whole thing in an oversized mixing bowl by hand and she makes extraordinary gazpacho by the way she will also tell you that her best chef's secret is that it should be served super cold so this is a soup that you want to make in advance in fact the flavors meld and taste even better the next day so make it now and serve it you know few days from now you'll be just fine a good stir will get it all going again Now, for that thicker soup that I mentioned, shards of rustic bread or uh, stale bread work great. A handful of raw almonds added to the blender if you're making a blended version, um, those will add texture, viscosity, thickness. And if you like it that way, it's round and lovely and I think delicious. And that good quality olive oil adds richness, no doubt. Now, when it comes to garnish, purists will opt for nothing but, you know, the chilled tomato goodness. But I love toppings. 
I love toppings on my pizza and I love toppings on my salad and I love toppings on my gazpacho. So I mentioned burrata. Uh, I mentioned smoked paprika grilled shrimp. Oh, yes. How about a spoonful of fresh ricotta cheese or even crumbled goat cheese or garlicky croutons or crispy prosciutto or, oh, a few steamed clams or a crab claw hanging off the side of the shot glass. That sounds delicious, right? You will find a bevy of variations of gazpacho, including my white gazpacho recipe, the Andalusian gazpacho, posted at chefjamie.com. And I'd love to know how you make your gazpacho. So if you'd like some details or to share your best recipe, please email me anytime, jamie, J-A-M-I-E, at chefjamie.com. And let's celebrate because it's time for gazpacho. So coming up, you will not want to miss so much more fabulous food and good health today, by the way, in your radio. We'll kick off the conversation with Chef Adam Wilson. I am delighted that the uh, culinary explorer, as they call him, at the helm of Vitamix, you know the blender, 100 years of success, in fact, is sitting down to dish with us. And by the way, he is perfecting your smoothie because you just might not be loading your blender correctly. There is such a thing. Stay tuned. Uh, That delicious conversation is coming up. Also, Dr. Kapil Parak is here and he's going to give you some insight into searching the internet when it comes to medicine. There is so much to learn. It's a fascinating read, his new book entitled Searching for Health, in fact. And last but not least, we are going to embrace okra. Prepare yourself. Chris Smith, historian, is here. And I think prepared right, okra can be fabulous. You don't want to miss it. Chef Jamie Gwen in your radio back with lots more insightful, informative, and entertaining conversation. Well, at least I hope you think so right after this. Don't go away. Chef Jamie Gwen dishing up deliciousness today, and there is so much to dig into. So you know that I love my kitchen appliances, and I don't think we use them enough. I say, let those workhorses make all the effort, whip or blend or puree with reckless abandon. My blender is my everything. I blend soups to smooth, gorgeous consistency, and I make my morning smoothie, and I whip up a quick vinaigrette. But Chef Adam Wilson, 
He's the master at it. As the director of culinary exploration for Vitamix, Adam is a true blender connoisseur. And Vitamix is celebrating its 100th anniversary this year. The fourth generation family-owned, privately held company that was founded in 1921 built its reputation on durable, high-performance, whole food blending equipment for home cooks and professional chefs alike. And to celebrate their anniversary, Vitamix just released a cookbook featuring 100 whole food recipes from their family and fans. So what can you make in your blender? Well, Adam is here to share insight, and I'm so glad to have you. Hi, Chef. Hello. Thanks for having us. (laughs) Yes, of course. Uh, There's really some fabulous stuff in this book and inspiring for me uh, because I really do love my blender. Um, But before we dig in, there are some amazingly valuable tips for blending that I think great cooks need to know, right? So you're all about whole foods and you put some rough stuff into your Vitamix and the book says put heavier ingredients on top of the lighter ones, which is smart when you think about it, but not sensical at the, <laughs> at the start. Definitely not intuitive. <laughs> no, not intuitive. Okay, so talk it, if you would, because we're going to blend better. Right. So as you start to blend, one thing you want to do is build a base. And so those blades start to pulverize things at the bottom. So having liquid and liquid ingredients at the bottom, so whether it's grapes or oranges or a liquid at the bottom first, what that does is start to build that blending base. And then the blades are designed to pull the rest of the ingredients. So it creates that vortex and pulls everything down into the blades. That just creates an efficiency in the blend so that you don't have to use the tamper. Many people lose the tamper or many people don't know how to use the tamper as well. Um, And therefore, they are just waiting for something to happen. So if you did put the ice or the frozen in there, it would eventually blend. But this is a, a, a definitely a faster way to blend. Yeah, much more efficient. I know I always think put the frozen mango at the bottom. It's heavier, right? And then the yeah. protein powder on top. But no, you want the blend to start successfully yeah. at the bottom of the blender and then take in all of the other ingredients. Here's something else I thought was really amazing. When it comes to dry chopping, let's say I want to do a whole slew of garlic cloves, right? Yeah. Yeah. Um, and I don't, I don't use my food processor. I use my blender. Right. You use the lid plug. Is that what we should call it? Yeah. The yes. lid plug. Yeah. And you throw them in while the blender's running? Yeah, on a low speed, so variable speed one. Um, and what that does is, you know, just start funneling them through the top, and then it will just sort of click them around, chop them up, and you will have a, not not a totally uniform, but you'll get that nice chop instead of getting your cutting board all dirty or garlicky smelling, um, and then just scrape it out of the container um, to make it super simple. And you can do that with other uh, vegetables, carrots, or, you know, if you're making a quick coleslaw or something to that degree, onions, you know, you don't want to get your cutting board. You don't want your eyes to tear up. Just cut it in half and drop it in the top and, you know, just low speed or pulse it and you can get a nice rough chop. So smart. I, I see cauliflower rice in my future tonight. You put the florets in, right. fill it up where the, the cauliflower just floats off the blade, and then pulse it, and you have perfect cauliflower rice. Brilliant. Okay, let's cook, or blend, yes. should blend. I say. Yes, <laughs> um, by category. So if I name the category, let, let's yep. talk about, I, I mean, I happen to mark all the recipes I can't wait to make, so this will be <laughs> uh, s- selfish chef 
conversation. Um, but load the container for a smoothie for us, please, because I think that is probably today one of the most used blender applications, oh, right? By far. Yes. yes, it is by far the most used. Most people buy a blender to do smoothies um, to get those whole foods in there. So it's a dietary um, way to get more fruits and vegetables. And we all know that everybody in the U.S. and, and other nations don't get enough fruits and vegetables. But you start off with whatever liquid or fruits, like I said, the the oranges or the grapes or, you know, maybe an almond milk that you put as a base. And then, you know, you sit there and then put in whatever your dry goods are. If you're putting in nuts or the protein powders, like you said, then your greens. Always remember when you're using your greens, um, color is very important. So don't mix your reds and greens because that makes brown. Always think like colors and remember your childhood of the the um, color schemes. The rainbow. And then yes. The rainbow, yes. Um, and then fruits and veggies and then the ice or frozen. Now, you said your smoothies in our previous conversation separate. What happens with that is usually the ice. Ice starts to melt and then it will separate. So if you don't want it to separate, frozen fruits are a great way to hold that because of the fiber in it. And then you create a nice thick smoothie that will last and not separate as much. Oh, you just resolved my greatest dilemma. And yes, in a previous conversation, you you remember, I did mention that my some of my smoothies separate. And it, it drives me crazy only because I sort of labor uh, lovingly over a smoothie, right? It's early in the morning. I'm feeding my son. I set it down. I go back to it and I want it to be viscous and smooth and I like it slightly thick um, all throughout the sipping. And so that separation is from the ice and the the lack of texture or the fiber and the viscosity. Thank you. Okay. So yeah, and frozen mango is probably yes. our favorite to use as the thickener. As is Sweetness mine. is there, so mm. you don't have to add any sweetener because that right. mango will do it. Yeah, it's so good. Um, I also can't wait uh, to make my batters, like for quick breads and uh, for pancakes. You talk yeah. a lot in the book about baby foods and even pet treats and then all the Vitamix essentials, making almond butter or cashew milk or date syrup or whole wheat flour. It's really fascinating to me how we take advantage of our appliances to their mm-hmm. fullest potential and we get so much back. So yeah. uh, kudos to you. I think you have the Thank coolest you. job. This is a <laughs> this is a beautiful compilation cookbook, right? And for yeah. any blender lover, Vitamix fan, these are the new modern hot recipes that you want to add to your repertoire for sure. These are the favorites and the stories from Vitamix and Vitamix fans that celebrate the 100th anniversary of Vitamix. The cookbook, the Vitamix 100th anniversary cookbook, of course, um, filled with really delicious surprises for everyone. So improve your health, uh, use whole foods, as Chef talked about, make smart eating choices, but do it deliciously. The book is a number one new release on Amazon, so check it out. And you can also follow on social at Vitamix. Vitamix 100th anniversary cookbook, Chef Adam Wilson. Thank you for being here, Chef. Come back soon, please. Awesome. Thank you, Chef. Yeah, pleasure. As the delicious conversation continues, oh, there is so much more to eat up. So stay tuned. Grab a snack. Come on back. Chef Jamie Gwen, don't go away.
Welcome back. Chef Jamie Gwen in your radio, bettering your health today. So we've all been there late at night, staring into the glow of your phone, trying to make sense of some health-related issue that you know nothing about. Well, if you've ever searched a medical condition on the internet, which we all have, then you've come away frightened. Well, Dr. Kapil Parak, the practicing cardiologist who trained at Johns Hopkins and is also the medical lead at Google Fit, has just released a new and much lauded guide to better health. He is the author of Searching for Health, the smart way to find information online and put it to use. And it is a fascinating read. He's helping us avoid common pitfalls, get the information we need, partner effectively with our health teams, figure out a path to good health together. And Dr. Parak distills decades of scientific research and shares really extraordinary tips. And so while we cover mostly fabulous food on this show, your health and wellness is important to me. I thought it would be insightful to learn from Dr. Parak, which just as an aside, is an avid cook as well. He has bettered his baguettes throughout this pandemic. In fact, he is a bread baker, and I am delighted that he is joining us live. Dr. Parak, thank you for being here. Well, thank you for having me, and thank you so much for that kind introduction. It's my pleasure to be here. Well, well-deserved. Thank you. Um, we are all guilty of it, right? I mean, you get a sore or a bump or an ache, and you go to the internet and you find some clearly devastating identification. I mean, it never fails, right? And so you speak to that in the beginning of the book and you ease minds, but what are some of the biggest mistakes that we make when we go to investigate a medical question? Yeah, no, that's a great question. And let me just start by saying, you know, it's normal Mm -hmm. um, to to get um, concerned when you come across things online. So, um, if I may for a second, um, when, when I was going through medical school, and I think this happens to just about every medical student, um, I thought I had a fatal condition, and it's because I was reading about stuff, and, and then you have a symptom, and you, you think of all the conditions that you've read that are so scary, and you're convinced something horrible is going to happen to you. Mm-hmm. This happens so commonly, it's actually called medical student's disease. Well, now... Even without that training, we all have access to all of this information, and we feel in the same way, like we might have something horrible that's happening to us. You can imagine, you know, by the time you get to medical school and you're on your way to becoming a doctor, you, you have a fair amount of sophistication, and if you can fall into that trap, then, you know, what the rest of us can pretty <laughs> easily fall in victim too. Oh, then so anyone you know, can, of course. Exactly. Yes. So it's really normal. Like, it's not something to beat yourself up over. Um, that said, there are a few um, uh, sort of suggestions that I, I can offer, and we cover these in the book. But the first thing is, you know, um, even before you go online, just write it down. Write down what you're feeling, and it'll keep you honest. Because what happens is symptoms are, um, I call it malleable. They're not, it, it's not like black and white. It's like, I might have had that ache, and then you read about this condition where there is that ache, that, and then you're like, hey, how did I think about it? I might have had that. And so before you know it, your sort of mind is convincing you that everything you're reading, you actually have those symptoms. Hmm. But if you write down ahead of time and then you, you go online, you, you find some rare condition and you, it talks about all these symptoms, it's harder to convince yourself you have them. If you haven't written it down, you sort of quickly double check. And again, I didn't write it down, so I probably don't have it serious enough that, you know, that it fits with this condition. So Very that's like a smart. nice little trick. 
Yeah, no, that's yeah, a great way to check yourself for sure. And so the other nice thing about that is it, it, we also have, uh, offer a way to organize that information that doctors use. So that way, if you do end up seeing a, a, a doctor for this, then you have that information organized in a way that they can understand and quickly process and it buys you a little bit more time in the visit. Um, the other thing is if you think about the way people search for other things online, um, we tend to look for one answer. So if you come across a word you don't understand, you're looking for that definition. If you want to go to dinner, you're looking for one restaurant. Um, whereas with health, um, it's different. When doctors see symptoms, we try and think of a list of possible conditions. We call it a differential diagnosis. But you think of that list, and when you have your list of possibilities, you tackle the one that you think is the most dangerous and likely, not just the one that's the most likely. So somebody might have a cold. You don't just send them home and ignore it. You say, well, yes, but it might also be COVID, so we should test you and be on top of this, because if it was, that could have more serious repercussions. So it's, um, it's that sort of thinking that's not... Uh, doesn't come intuitively because we, we're sort of trained to look for an answer. So, you know, we, we suggest things like ask what else could it be and right. like come up with that list yourself. And that way you sort of have a little bit of that framework. You're not going to become a doctor by reading the <laughs> book, but you're using the same framework. Yes. So you're at least at a better starting point. Yes. And I think that when you teach us in the book to approach and assess, because that's your philosophy, that's your training, that's your focus as a doctor, if we take that same mindset, then we've partnered with our doctor, right, to, to better understand what's going on. And that is a very powerful place to come from, um, I, I, you know, for COVID or, or anything else. I thought it was so interesting to read um, and because you speak about it um, and on the website at searchingforhealth.org that we've learned a lot of lessons from the pandemic, about how we need to be more informed about our health. I think right. so many of us have taken our health far more seriously and realize um, that you need to advocate for yourself and your loved ones, but you must be informed. Is that the silver lining of the, the challenging year plus that we've been through? Absolutely. I mean, that is definitely one of them. Um, it, it is one of those things that the pandemic has been so um, all-encompassing. All mm-hmm. Like, it's been so big, right? Like it just covers everything. Um, that there's multiple silver linings in my mind. So yes. one is this renewed focus on health for sure. So, you know, one of the resources we have on our website is just a place to gather your medical history so that it's all in one place. Like many right. of us have seen different doctors over time. Um, we've had maybe a procedure here or there, and it's not all in one place. So that like whenever you do go see a doctor, it's like fairly organized and, and easy for them to quickly understand what you've been through, but also like get important information that might otherwise get missed out on an interview. The other thing that's come out of the pandemic is, you know, we've all become much more attuned to doing things digitally. Yes. So telemedicine has progressed more in this like 15-ish months than it has in the last 15 years. Hmm. And a a lot of the policies and regulations around telemedicine have been, um, you know, just dramatically changed because of a public health emergency. So what used to be regulated at a state level is now federal, and you, you, can, you, you can practice across the country. There's some waivers around that. Sure. And so the result is, you know, you can, one of the things we talk about in our book is you go from finding all this information to then taking the next step of, like, connecting with a, a doctor, and what telemedicine does is it provides you a more immediate way to do that. Right. And so 
we're now finding, and, and we talk about the different tools in the book. There's telemedicine, there's triage lines, there's, you know, these are phone lines that sometimes doctors' offices or insurance companies set up to help you sort through, you know, what's going on in your life with, uh, with a health condition, whether you need to go to the ER right away or can you wait a couple of days for that doctor's office visit. Um, but it just adds to that, like, you know, spectrum of options that we have available to us. Yes. And so it's, it's really wonderful in that sense that as, as terrible as the pandemic has been, it is offering us more options for our health and more interest in our health. I I think that you do find the silver lining, which I love. And there is so much valuable information in the book. I feel like I learned so much. And um, I'm delighted to be able to pay it forward here on the radio. And I'm going to pass the book along to a friend uh, who I know will pay it forward as well. I, I too, uh, love that you're combating the skepticism when it comes to seeking medical advice. Because when we know more, we learn more. Um, and really just uh, extraordinary lessons. So thank you, um, and kudos to you for doing such good work. Uh, this is a much-needed manual for finding the best health information, for making the best medical decisions for yourself, for achieving the best care. And if you are committed to your health journey, which we should all be, Please read Searching for Health, the smart way to find information online and put it to use. Writ- written by cardiologist Dr. Kapil Parakh, it's P-A-R-A-K-H. You can learn more uh, and start to plan for your best health at searchingforhealth.org, searchingforhealth.org. Uh, Dr. Parakh, I really appreciate your time and thank you for sharing your passion and your insight. Thank you for having me. This has been wonderful. I appreciate the opportunity. Well, thank you. We very much appreciate having you here. All right. Back to eating. Dr. Parak, we're going back to food. (laughs) Right after this, (laughs) there's more delicious conversation in your radio. Chef Jamie Gwen, don't go away. about to get fresh, so prepare yourself. Chef Jamie Gwen in your radio. Did you know that crudo is the hot new fish dish across the country? It is the best and most sparkling way, in my opinion, to eat fresh seafood this summer. And whether you're luxuriating in a summer vacation at Pelican Hill Resort in Newport Beach, lucky you, those magnificent coastal views and glorious amenities, or maybe you're committed to mastering crudo at home, well, you need a tutorial. Chef Chris Simons is the head chef at Andrea Ristorante at Pelican Hill, the five-star property set on 500 gorgeous acres where he gets to play every day, and he makes glorious 
Crudo. So I asked him to come on the show and share his culinary passion, and I am delighted that he is gracing the radio waves with us for the first time. So let's dish on Crudo, shall we? Hi, Chef. I'm glad to have you. Welcome. Thank you. Yes, Thank you, Chef Gwen. It's such Thank a pleasure you. to be on the show. Thank you. Um, okay, share a bit of your background first so that everyone can get to know you better because you have been making Italian specialties with your mom since you were young. Your father inspired biodynamic farming. Uh, you are really a, a growing work of art, aren't you? <laughs> <laughs> um, it's, it's uh, you know, the Italian family. I, my, yes. my mother was um, just always a great cook, and that's definitely what started, um, you know, the curiosity in the kitchen. And uh, just through, through time and uh, tutelage, you know, she was definitely um, what got the career started. Mm-hmm. And uh, it's been 15 years, yes. 17 years of everything from pastry to Italian, French, um, Japanese, and uh and 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 like you mentioned uh biodynamic gardening was was uh what I did a couple years back um Very cool. Yeah, and I... uh it was just something I was passionate about. Um I think we all need to be aware of like where our food comes from yes. and um and I I think one of the things I love about the way you cook and who you are as a chef in getting to know you is that you are very multi-talented, multifaceted. You throw yourself in to those things that you want to master. So tell us about your crudo menu at the restaurant because crudo is all the rage. And allow me to, in Italian, define it. Crudo means raw by definition, right? Yes. Yes. Yes, exactly. And um, I, I think the idea, it was, it was a simple one, is just it's how I love to eat um, and how I love to start a meal. Yes. Um, you know, the, first of all, like it all, it all starts with incredible product, which, you know, we're blessed to have uh, being in Southern California, mm-hmm. um, you know, and, and many of the dishes currently are ones local from San Bernardino. How cool. Um, like, our, like our uni and spot prawn. So um, it's it's easy when you're using such great um, quality yes. product uh, to come up with um, a, you know a simple dish for it, and um, it's all the dishes have like a common denominator though, and that they're all like really high in seasoning and and acidity, and I feel like that really um, jazzes up the palate for you know the courses to to come after. So let's go step by step through the process. First and foremost, you have to buy the freshest seafood and fish, right? You do. Yes. I mean, it, it does start with that. Um, and and the, I, I guess the only um, cooked item that I have on the crudo menu is the Dungeness crab, um, which is just an ingredient that I love so much mm-hmm. when I was in Seattle um, yes. to work with. Um, so, but yeah, it must start with the, with the freshest. Yeah. And, um, immaculate product, I say, when product. it comes to raw and whether it's your like local fishmonger or a grocer, you have a, a fish purveyor because you're lucky um, <laughs> and, and you're doing cool stuff with, with what's being offered to you. Yeah. You know, people ask all the time if they can even like, you know, buy fish um, sure. from the restaurant. Unfortunately, we can't do that. So I tell them to just 
go to the docks at four in the morning and uh, <laughs> find a fisherman with a wad of cash and uh, yeah. and you're and I'm sure he'll he'll throw you a fish and, and you're have in. a net ready. By the way, I only invite my highest level friends to come on this <laughs> <Wow>. show. <laughs> I think all, we all love to eat. We, we, we could go it. Spanish cava if we were <laughs> if we were looking to uh, to cut back a bit at home. But I will tell you, I would gladly toast with Cristal uh, with you <laughs> at any time at Pelican. I'm grateful for uh, your crudo instruction, and I'm thankful that you came on uh, to share your passion for sure. And I will see you at Pelican Hill soon. The resort at Pelican Hill is a five star property and it offers absolutely everything in the, the finest. Andrea is Northern Italian cuisine, uh, one of the most extraordinary restaurants um, in Southern California, the state, I would tell you, and beyond. And Chef Chris Simons is at the helm. Aside from tasting his crudos, he also does these must-do classes. And there's a class called the Art of Pasta Making that is truly fabulous learning and you don't want to miss out. So find out more at Pelican Hill. Dot com. Chef, I can't wait to eat with you again soon. Cheers to summer me and to either. crudo. Cheers. Yes. Thank you so much for having me. And so that brings us to the end of another hour of gastronomic inspiration and certainly insight to feed your soul. I hope that you enjoyed the show and I thank you for listening. But before you go, let me leave you with my last bite, as I like to call it, my last ounce or tidbit of culinary conversation for the hour. If you could believe it, This cake recipe has only three ingredients and it is so moist and so delicious and it makes the perfect afternoon treat in my house. And so I just love to share it. It's a three ingredient pineapple cake and I bake it in a loaf tin. And if you have self-rising flour and sugar and a couple of cans of dole crushed pineapple in the house, well, then you have it made. I will post my three-ingredient pineapple cake on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram now at Chef Jamie Gwen, and I will meet you here next weekend where I do promise there is lots more fabulous food to feed your soul in your radio. Please stay healthy and wear a mask. And until then, I'm Chef Jamie Gwen signing off, and I hope you continue to eat well. Bye.